today on Ag News Daily. So in those areas, they, they have a real terrible basis this fall, well over a dollar in many areas for soybeans. And that basis has started to narrow in. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, or Market Monday, rather, I should say. I am Delaney Howell, one of the co-hosts, joined by Mike Pearson. As always, Mike, what's going on? Oh, boy, Delaney, a little bit of everything. I tell you what, I have been struggling to keep up with my Twitter notifications over the past 24 hours, you know? Because you're just a Twitter superstar. Superstar, yes. (laughs) Well, actually, I posted a video. I forget who it was from, Business Insider or Mm -hmm. one of those, you know, kind of clickbaity type of places. But there's a – the whole point of the video is there's a restaurant in New York that serves a Wagyu steak sandwich. And I thought it looked really good, but – in the video, they talk about how this Wagyu is from a farm in Japan that has won the Japanese Beef Olympics 10 years in a row. And that got me thinking, why in the heck don't we have a Beef Olympics here in the U.S.? Okay, so I want to counter that point because I also – I haven't checked my Twitter notifications since I posted this last night or this morning. But we do have the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest on the 4th of July, Mike, which would be – Maybe not the exact equivalents, but we do have, no. you know, some You're meat not, competitions. We've got a lot of meat competitions, but there's – we've got show cattle, right? Yes. We've got um, occasionally, you know, different states or FFA chapters will do a carcass challenge for their mm-hmm. fair. Right. We've got, like you say, the hot dog contest, which isn't really a contest of quality of beef. It's more of a well, quantity. I know. That's true. But they are beef hot dogs. product consumption. No, they're beef hot dogs. Oh, they are? I think Nathan's ballpark hot dogs are beef hot dogs, aren't they? Interesting. I don't know. I don't I eat they hot dogs. Yeah, I'm not opposed okay. to them, but I just don't eat very many of them. Well, uh, I think they are. But anyways. Either way, you're not. they're not sampling it for quality. Right. So should they're, we start? What I'm hearing here is we should start the Ag News Daily whatever meat sandwich eating contest. No, it's not a sandwich eating contest. Delaney, you're missing the point. <laughs> it's to test the quality oh. of the beef itself. Oh, so let's, well, my, let's do that. Here's what I envision. Exactly. Okay. Let's get beef producers from across the country, feed yards, grass finishers, mm-hmm. you know, you name it, to take one of the steers they've processed and send us a cut. And I, okay. I think it'd have to be a ribeye to really do mm-hmm. a solid or taste a, test. A, or a filet or, yeah. Yeah, York. yeah. And then we get 10 or 12 different testers, okay. and we randomize and anonymize right, all the meat course. so that nobody knows where it's from or yeah, anything. you got to make it legitimate. Mm-hmm. Make it legitimate, and then we do a taste test, and we rank the, the meat. And then think, whoever the winner is, they get to say they're the winner. I think that really the only way that I'm on board with this is if we get to be one of the taste testers. Obviously, we're putting it together. Oh, yes. Okay, perfect. I'm all for that. Yes. Let's put this together, Mike. You get on that. That sounds yeah. like a great idea. Listeners, we're going to be working on this. If you are a feedlot <laughs> producer or if you are a cattle finisher of any variety, we think I think all varieties should be here. It shouldn't be breed specific. Let's yeah. get the Angus Association to send stuff in. Charlay, let's get some baldy, you know, beef samples. Let's get some Wagyu if we've got any Wagyu or Wagyu mm-hmm. cross finishers. This is the kind of thing I think could help generate a lot of interest in the beef industry, the beef sector as a whole, and it'd be a nice little piece of bragging rights for whoever the winner is. I'm but, absolutely serious. Like, we should do this. 
I agree. Since it's an Olympics, there has to be more than one competition, I okay, think. Okay, right. What's I don't know other what the others are going to look like. I'm, I'm can, brainstorming. We can on, think on. I've got some ideas. ideas. I've got some ideas. I don't okay. want to share them all on the podcast yet until we've got it put okay. together. But I've got some ideas. All right, cool. <laughs> well, let's see. That's the news we've got, Delaney. What other news is out yeah. there in the world of agriculture? Very exciting. Very exciting. So, Mike, we've got some news here. We kind of have, I wouldn't say a final deadline, but we have a little bit firmer deadline on when we really need to see U.S.-China trade talks be come to fruition, basically. March 1st is the absolute hard deadline for U.S.-China trade talks. I don't know if you've seen that yet this morning. Mm-hmm. But uh, Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer said on Sunday that this is a quote-unquote hard deadline after a week of some very confusing statements made by President Trump and his top advisors. And he said, as far as I'm concerned, it is a hard deadline. When I talk to the President of the United States, he is not talking about going beyond March. But if we do not see something come to fruition by that March 1st deadline, it sounds like they're going to resolve back or turn back to those tariffs that they've so far pushed off into the future. Yes, that is exactly what it sounds like. This 90 day deadline is, mm-hmm. is the, uh, the discussion. Of course, you get a little bit more than 90 days with the holidays in there. But yeah, if nothing comes to be, and I don't know what China can agree to that it can actually do to, you know, I mean, they can say they're going to stop technology theft, right. but how are we going to monitor that? I mean, they're, yeah. They've been stealing IP for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And after that March 1st deadline, if nothing's done, then biggity boom, biggity bang, we're right back to where we were. Yes, that's exactly what it sounds like. And where we are for growers up in North Dakota is a terrible basis situation for mm-hmm. their beans. Of course, North and South Dakota growers continue to plant more beans, although we'll see if that shifts here in this next year. But we do have an announcement uh um, there is a current proposal to take a crude oil refinery in Dickinson in the, I suppose that'd be the west central part of North Dakota. Okay. They want to take it from, from refining crude oil to make it refine uh, soy diesel, biodiesel. Mm-hmm. And they say that this facility is going to process locally produced soybean oil. It's going to take demand. It's going to demand about three and a half million acres worth of bean oil, which is good news for uh, North Dakota growers. But it's probably not going to be online for at least another year, probably a little bit longer. But long term, this could be some good news for building that domestic demand up there in the Dakotas. Does it say anything about what sort of numbers or production levels they're going to be at? I mean, how much of a difference is it really going to make, you know? Well, it's going to suck up just about half of the soybean production in the state. Well, that's pretty good chunk then. It is. Now, there is a bit of a wild card. So there's two issues that I see with this. Dickinson is well outside traditional soybean production areas in North Dakota. Uh It's a long drive down I-94 from uh, Fargo. But the bigger concern is if you're going to be producing that much bean oil, what are you going to do with all the bean meal? They are going to have to to be shipping that stuff to livestock producers somewhere. They're going to have to be growing some pigs. That's what I think. This is a great opportunity for North Dakota growers to put up some hog barns and, you know, maybe get some relatively cheap feed out of this deal and, you know, start uh, getting into the pork business. Maybe you can invest in some pork barns up there, Mr. I absolutely will. If anybody's looking to take a (laughs) post-dated check for an investment, I'm willing to write you a check today. There you go. All right. Yeah. Well, as we look at other news going coming up, coming online in kind of the grain industry 
Um, we reported previously on the podcast that Bungie has been, we'll say loosely interested in, you know, talking with Glencore and our, also ADM about potential mergers. And it seems like, I'm just now kind of finding this out, but it seems like one of the reasons that originally they didn't really, I guess, progress any forward, progress any uh, forward, what am I trying to say? I guess one of the reasons they didn't move forward with some of those discussions was because of their CEO at Bungie, Soren Schroeder, who is apparently um, quitting or moving on or leaving Bungie altogether. So it seems like once he's kind of out of the picture, um, Glencore and Adia might have the potential to continue those discussions with Bungie about what a potential merger could look like in the future. Interesting. Take the big four, convert it down again to the big, it'll be the big three. I don't think Glencore is considered yeah. one no, of the big dogs. No, I don't think it is either. And maybe that's why Bungie the... was a little more interested in discussing negotiations of a merger with them. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we'll see. Personnel shifts always lead to changes in yes. corporate philosophy. So I wonder if this will still be a, a high priority for Bungie moving forward. Yeah, we'll find out. You know, speaking of mergers and joint agreements, I talked on Friday about the agreement from OPEC and some non-OPEC members, mainly mm -hmm. Russia, to cut their oil supply by 1.2 million barrels per day. They announced today that they are going to be signing a general cooperation agreement. Now, what this means is that OPEC isn't growing. They're not adding new countries to the OPEC cartel, but they are going to be working with other oil producers outside of OPEC, predominantly Russia, which we've talked about quite a bit, also looking at adding South Africa, which I didn't realize was a much of an oil mm -hmm. producer, but they're big enough that OPEC wants them in on any future agreements they make. And in three months, they are going to sign this agreement, and, uh, and that would make their impact on the world stage a little bit bigger, though it is still counterbalanced by the free world, predominantly the U.S. and Canada, not being members and being able to produce as much oil as makes financial sense. I tell you what, though, going back to the South Africa thing, they have been in the news quite a bit. I think that they are going to be an up and coming country to watch. Yeah, yeah, there's some there's some concerns there with the ruling party with regard to agriculture and land expropriation. But it definitely is something to keep an eye on for sure. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And also this OPEC deal and, you know, the cost yeah. and how that's going to affect the oil market. That's right. They just opened a new diamond mine, I believe, in South mm. Africa. So, Interesting. you know, getting that ice, getting that bling. <laughs> All right. Forgets the other slang for diamonds. I don't know either. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyways, okay. Yeah. Well, we don't really have any news on the farm bill hard and fast when the text is going to come out, but a lot of people in the House and Senate agriculture committees are floating around rumors saying that they're expecting to release the text now on Tuesday. It's been pushed back oh, a week and a half from when we originally thought it was going to come out. They're saying Tuesday is their new deadline for releasing that Tuesday, text. tomorrow, Tuesday? Yes. Oh. But they really don't have much time to get this through um, because they have basically a week and a half, two weeks left um, before they head to their recess. And then we see, of course, the new members coming into the House and Senate, so they don't have a lot of time to vote on this and get this through. So no. It's going to be a mad dash. And also, besides the Farm Bill, we also haven't seen them 
vote on an extended budget. So, mm, right, they're still just on the ex- the extension. Yeah, potentially, um, I guess the FDA and USDA could shut down, but I don't. I don't think that's likely. I was reading something last week, and I think I shared it on the podcast that, you know they were going to at least pass a temporary bill so that those entities would be funded, but they need to get some stuff done. It sounds like. Yeah. need to get a lot of stuff done. It's going to be a mad sprint to get that farm bill Mm -hmm. through under this Congress. Yeah. Speaking of mad sprints to the end of the year, the USDA announced that the new GMO labeling rule should be out by the end of the, uh, of the year. Greg Iback was at the American Seed Trade Association's annual expo in Chicago yesterday, and he said, quote, we're very close to being through the rule writing process, but he didn't give any more specifics. The big questions are, will the label require disclosure of foods produced with gene-edited crops, that CRISPR mm-hmm. technology? Mm-hmm. And Ibach said he can't discuss that issue until after the rule is released. And the CEO of ASTA, that Seed Trade Association, mm-hmm. Andy Levine, said... One of the bigger questions is whether it will require the disclosure for foods made with ingredients from GMO crops that aren't detectable in the final product. And we don't know the answer to that yet either. So these are questions that remain to be seen or remain to be answered, I should say, when this rule gets released. And you think this week? Uh, by the end of the year. Oh, okay. So, you know, well, my guess yeah, that's pretty soon. Okay. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's sneaking up on us, but we still right. got, you know, three weeks. Right. Well, Christmas is sneaking up on us too, Mike. Oh boy, I know. I gotta mm. get ready to think about preparing for guessing what people might want for me to buy for the <laughs> month, December twenty fourth. I knew you were gonna say that. Yeah. Oh geez. Okay. Well, another piece of news here, kind of going back to the trade scene. Um, we followed a little bit about the flood news and the hurricane news going on in Puerto Rico, but apparently, kind of since then. Uh, China has been continuing to flood Puerto Rico with cheap rice, which has been adding to U.S. farmers' frustrations uh, about the trade war and that this is seen as delaying the lift of the of China's ban on U.S. rice because that is one of those products that has been banned or tariffed throughout this process. And according to senior USDA economist Nathan Childs, he said last year, the USA's rice out at last year's USA Rice Outlook Conference in San Diego, China began exporting again to Puerto Rico after nearly 10 years of having shut off its rice trade with the island. And to no surprise, Mike, China is sitting on a huge stockpile of rice. We don't really know what quality that rice is, but they're selling no. it at prices that just the U.S. just can't compete with. They're selling it for less than $300 a less than $300 per ton which is less than half of the U.S. rice price at this point in time. So Chinese rice production is falling, but, you know, stocks are at record level of nearly 200 million tons. That is a lot of rice. Yes, it is. Huh. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. A lot of issues with trade there, Delaney. Mm -hmm. But I tell you what, I'm all out of news and ready to dive into the markets, if you are, for our hashtag Market Monday. I think that we should do that, Mike. All right, folks, our markets are brought to us by our great friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, it is still plenty early to put a marketing plan together for your 2019 crop season. Give our friends at Zaner a shout. You can reach them at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at zaner.com. 
Well, we started the week with a little bit of weakness here in the grain markets. Looking at corn, December contract up a quarter of a cent at 374 and a quarter. The March down one and a half to finish at 384 even. In soybeans, the January was down seven cents on the day to close at 909 and three quarters, while the March was off six and a quarter to finish the day at 522 and three quarters. In Chicago wheat, the December contract down four and three quarters at 514 and three quarters. The March off six cents on the day at 525 and a quarter. Mixed trade in the cattle complex with the December live cattle contract off 32.5 cents at 117.57.50. The Feb down 32.5 cents at 121.20. In feeder cattle, the January contract was up 65 cents, closed 145.02.5. The March up 87.5 to finish at 142.75. And mixed trade in lean hogs. The December contract up 47.5 cents at 54.72.5. The Feb down at $1.05, closed the day at 66.82.5. And, and a quick look at the dairy market. In Class 3 milk, the December contract was down 11 cents on the day at 13.65, while the January was down 18 to finish at 13.80. Before we jump into our hashtag Market Monday discussion with Brian Hoops, let's get a word from our Market Monday sponsor. Hashtag Market Monday brought to us by our friends at Barber Cattle. Are you looking to buy or sell quality cattle? Make Barber Cattle your first call. Laura Barber of Barber Cattle and Sons of Kentucky can connect you with high-quality cattle, and they work nationwide. Call Laura at 859-229-7691. That number again, 859-229-7691. Get the best cattle with Barber. Well, folks, it is Hashtag Market Monday today, and joining us is Brian Hoops from Midwest Market Solutions. Brian, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Always good to talk with you. I hope things are doing well, and your listeners have a great holiday season. Absolutely. It's hard to believe we're getting close to Christmas time already. And, Brian, we're not starting off the week here with a lot of holiday joy. Soybeans are under some pressure today. What's going on? Yeah, they certainly are. You know, we're kind of in that waiting mode right now, looking at China, trying to give us some price direction. We've uh, had a meeting a couple weeks ago at the D20 Summit. Since that time frame, there's not been any purchases by China of U.S. ag products, even though it was promised that they would. That's a disappointment to the market, which is starting to peel back off of its highs. And so, even if we don't see anything until January the 1st, which is very likely, uh, we could see some pressure against the soybeans and, and some of the other commodities waiting for that first purchase to be made. Now, let's assume that, that nothing happens here until around the 1st of January. When you're thinking of pressure in the soy complex, Brian, how far down could we go? Would we be looking at those lows from the week before that meeting? Yeah, I think that's a very real possibility. You know, we're we're in a real sideways pattern, but those lows that we had put in were about uh, almost 50 cents away from where we're currently at. So that would probably be the worst case scenario as the market kind of drifts lower, waiting for some positive news. Of course, if we don't get any purchases, if, if China decides not to buy anything and stick with South American production, we will take those lows out and, and certainly go much lower as our export profile is factoring in some Chinese business already. Oh, boy. All right. So with that profile already factoring in some business, let's say we get to January 1. Let's say China steps in. We get a decent-sized export sale report. How much is this market going to bounce, or are, have we already seen where this market can react to run back up in that, you know, March, the you know, 935 area? 
Yeah, that 930 area that you talked about may be a pretty significant resistance. That's when a, a lot of the uh, rally was priced in after the G20 summit. Um, it's really going to depend upon how much product South America or China buys from us, excuse me. We, we need to them to buy a tremendous amount of our soybeans. We've got a huge inventory on hand. Our export profiles already anticipating we're going to see a lot of uh, exports to China to get through this big supply that we have. Uh, we need to be averaging a record amount each week of exports to meet the USDA forecast. So if we don't see much in the way of Chinese purchases, again, we're, we're over pro, overpriced on the markets. Our export profile is too optimistic. But even if we get some Chinese uh, purchases, we're going back to 930, maybe 940 area in March beans. Now, you at Midwest Market Solutions, you work with, with growers across the Midwest, obviously, but you certainly have some up in that North Dakota, South Dakota region. Has there been any improvement to basis here over the past few weeks with the thought of Chinese buyers coming into the market or have things remained pretty stagnant? Yeah, we have uh, branch offices in South Dakota and North Dakota and two in Minnesota. So in those areas, they, they have a real terrible basis this fall, well over a dollar in many areas for soybeans. And that basis has started to narrow in. Um, five to ten cents doesn't seem like a lot, but they have a tremendous amount of product out there, not only because of record yields this year, but also last year that never really fully got cleaned up. So they're sitting on a lot of inventory in those areas, but basis slowly narrowing. Um, the farmers have priced their product in bins, not likely to pull those uh, product out of their bins in storage for the next several weeks, at least until after the first year. That may be when we start to see basis weaken a little bit again, but it is starting to firm up in, in a lot of areas right now. Well, now let's talk about the corn market, Brian. We're seeing a, a little bit of weakness today in corn with the March off one and a half and December 2019 down, oh, three quarters or so. Is this just spillover weakness from the soy complex, or is there some fundamental factor going on in the corn market? Well, corn is similar to the soybeans. It's waiting on better demand news, and I thought we got some very strong news today with a big uh, sale of corn to Mexico. The new agreement that has been uh, completed with Mexico, the United States, and Canada is part of this uh, purchase is reflective of that agreement. We should see more business coming forward. Um, our weekly export inspections were a little bit disappointing and kind of kept the pressure on the corn market, along with a sharply higher U.S. dollar, lower wheat futures. There just wasn't enough buying momentum to lift corn off of its lows, especially when crude oil started to fall uh, on some pretty heavy fund selling. Gotcha. Now, tomorrow, of course, we have the December WASDE report, the World Agriculture Supply and Demand Estimates report coming out. Are you anticipating any any shockers in there, or is December typically, you know, fairly mundane? Yeah, this is a very uh, quiet report historically. The USDA does not make any supply changes in this report other than maybe some world numbers, but uh, things are going to be very quiet in this report. If anything, USDA is likely to lower the U.S. corn export profile 25, maybe 50 million bushels. It, it does appear that it's a little bit optimistic right now, but uh, with the news of an agreement with uh, Mexico and Canada and possibly that China will start buying some U.S. corn or U.S. ethanol, I think they are more apt to leave this export profile unchanged for the time being and see what develops here over the next several weeks before they make a change in January. 
Well, now you talk about ethanol, of course, this time of year is when we see a lot of plants go down for maintenance and so forth, but ethanol margins have been very, very tight lately. What's your projection as we get into the first quarter of 2019? Are we going to see ethanol continue to be a really strong demand driver for domestic corn? I certainly think it will be, and I hope it is, because uh, ethanol has been a huge uh, domestic demand, as you mentioned, more than our, our feed additives, um, even more than our exports right now. So um, what it, a lot of what hinges on is uh, China and our, our ability to export ethanol to China and to some of the European markets. So um, without their ethanol market, we would be uh, swimming in corn and stocks just like we are in, in soybeans. We, we have a manageable level of uh, corn stocks, and that is due to our strong demand base where we are outpacing our, our production each year. Now, before we move on to talk about wheat, we've got these 19 corn still above $4. Brian, should any growers be making some sales in here, or do you want to hold and wait until we get a little bit closer to planting season? I'm more apt to wait until we get to planning, unless we got 425 printed on that December futures. I, I think it's a little premature to be selling. Um, you know, right now that does look like an attractive price for producers, but you know, with high input costs this year, um, cost of seed, high P and K, it's going to be a, a real struggle, I think, this year, um, getting that crop planted in a timely fashion, and that should give us some opportunities to make sales above 425 on the December board. All right, four and a quarter, folks. Keep that number handy. Now let's talk about the wheat market, Chicago wheat in particular. We've got uh, pretty much a down day. You mentioned the surprising strength in the U.S. dollar. D give us an update on, on the wheat market. What's happening here? Well, right now, the wheat is in badly need of some export business. We did see some on Friday with a private sale of U.S. hard red wheat, but Egypt also came out late last week and did not purchase any U.S. wheat, and that was seen as a little bit of a disappointment. Right now, the main driving force for U.S. wheat prices is our exports, and uh, our export business has been slow compared to year-ago levels. Right now, we're down about 16% from last year, and last year was considered a, a very poor export year for wheat. Uh, we need to average about 23 million bushels each week just to hit the USDA forecast. We are right now at about 15 million bushels. Uh, that was today's number. So we are well below what the USDA is projecting us to be at. So like corn and soybeans, we may be over expecting too much as far as our export profile for the wheat market for this marketing year. Oh, boy. We expected too much demand is the story across all the grains. That's that's a tough story to have to bear when we're looking at our pocketbooks this time of year. Yeah, unfortunately, that, that is the worst-case scenario. We've got big supplies. We don't have enough demand to eat through that supply. Um, prices, you know, right now are not able to stimulate that demand, and wheat's been trying to fall to a price level that will stimulate some of the buying interest from foreign countries. It seems like Chicago uh, finally reached that when it went below $5, but Egypt uh, shunned U.S. wheat prices in this last go-around as we had rallied from the below $5 mark, and now uh, we are not competitively priced once again. So wheat really cannot afford to rally too much, or we're not competitively priced in the worldwide markets. That's true for corn and soybeans with China being out of the market this time of year. Absolutely. Well, now let's take a look at the, the protein markets here as we take a look at cattle. Now, I know you guys work with a lot of cattle feeders, of course, across northwest Iowa and South Dakota and Nebraska. And before we talk prices, I want to ask you, what's been the conversation you're having 
with cattle feeders. How have they fared throughout this year? I know the packer has had record margins, and those have been smaller for the cattle feeders, but are, are most folks still in the black for the year? Yeah, for the year. If you, if you go over the last 12 months, I think they are. You know, the last four or five, six months have not been real good for the cattle feeder. Uh, it was the beginning of the year where they had some positive basis, positive margins, where things really worked out well. This time of year, normally we get the cash to trade over the futures market. That positive basis helps out those feeders who are hedged as they get a little stronger cash markets, make some money on their hedges. And so that should uh, be a thing, something that they're looking out for uh, as a benefit right now, this time of year, futures usually do take a pretty sharp drop off. One thing that a lot of producers have told us is that they don't feel that the on-feed numbers are accurate numbers. There, there is a lot of cattle on feed, but certainly not more than uh, what was seen last year, what like the USDA has told us. And so this month in the cattle on feed numbers, we are looking for placement numbers to be down maybe 5 to 9%, and that could be a trend that we see going through the rest of the winter months. Now, as we think of the uh, the futures market, you do expect a, a drop this time of year. You know, we're looking at that Dece at 117, the Feb at 121. How far do you anticipate to see futures drop relative to cash? Do you usually expect a, a $5 positive basis on this type of uh, season? Right, yeah. Usually about uh, 3 to $5 is uh, the positive basis that we see for this time of the year. And it doesn't last very long, but uh, during the, the month of December and into early January is about as long as that lasts, and then the basis starts to correct itself. Gotcha. Everybody's got to get out there and buy those prime ribs for Christmas, I suppose. <laughs> I suppose they do. Now, um, looking at the feeder cattle market, we had weakness in live cattle, strength in feeder cattle today. That's been an ongoing theme, it seems like, for the past six months. These feeders, I mean, the guys are still fighting for them when they get to the sale barn, it looks like. Yeah, it's an interesting market. In some areas, they're really scrambling to get feeders. Uh, in some areas, there's a lot of feedlots have said they have enough and they don't want any more feeders. You know, the market seems to have topped in late August and September uh, and has worked its way lower uh, through these fall and into the early winter months. Um, the Plains areas had too much rain, too much snow. Um, and the conditions weren't really ripe for uh, put a lot of feeder cattle, and so the demand started to back off, and I think that's what really started to weigh on the prices during the month of October and into November. Now we're starting to see, I think, more of a stabilization of those feeder cattle prices. All right. Now, Brian, before we let you go, we got to talk the hog market. We had February down over a dollar on the day. Have we given up all hope of growing pork exports to China with their African swine fever scare? You know, I don't think we should give up hope. Maybe the market has kind of tampered its enthusiasm, but I don't think we should give up our hope for that. If China is willing to start buying U.S. ag products, most certainly that's going to include some U.S. pork. It should include beef as well uh, and other commodities, but uh, I have to believe that soybeans and pork would be at the top of their list of, of products that they want to buy from the United States. There is those tariffs to work through, but with the African swine fever, they're going to need to import quite a few uh, million pounds of tonnage to get to back to their supplies back to more moderate levels. And so I would certainly look for the U.S. to benefit from any negotiations and an agreement with China to buy products. Well, Brian, always enjoy the chance to get to talk with you. Can you tell our listeners where can they get a hold of you if they want some more information? 
Yes, our uh, phone number is 417-501-5132 and our website address, MidwestMarketSolutions.com. Fantastic. Brian Hoops, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Hey, great talking with you. Have a good holiday. Well, appreciate the chance to get to speak with Brian there. A lot of things going on in the market, despite the fact we're coming to the end of the year, the end of the quarter, and, uh, you know, the end of December, and the Christmas holiday. Everything is coming up on us. There's a lot of stuff yet to move. If you want to get caught up on some of the past issues we've discussed on the podcast, you can always do that on our website. Visit agnewsdaily.com. It will take you to our new home at the Global Ag Network, or you can always follow us on Facebook and on Twitter, just search for Ag News Daily in the search bar and we will appear. Without further ado, folks, I'm going to let you go.